Open, outspoken, it's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Gary Wirtz. Ophthalmology Off the Grid is an independent podcast supported with advertising by Alcon. This is Dr. Gary Wirtz with a very special episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. We're coming live from New Orleans, the American Academy of Ophthalmology meeting. We're actually going rogue. What that means is I'm going to be going around the convention hall, getting insights and opinions about real-time topics. We're going to bring them straight to you. And uh, today, I'm really excited that I was able to track down Matt Jensen uh, from Vance Thompson Vision in South Dakota. And uh, Matt, I've, I've... been wanting to talk to you and have you uh, as a guest on the podcast for a long time because you're kind of the guru. You know, when I have a management question that I, there's something brewing in my mind, you're the guy I, I will email or text and usually I'll get a, a direct response and usually a book in the mail uh, not too long thereafter. That's happened a couple of times. Um, and so with that being said, Matt, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Well, I'm glad you had me, uh, Gary, and I'm excited to talk, uh, talk with you. I love your show and I'm impressed by all the people uh, you know, who've already been on. So it will hopefully um, worthy to stand among them. Well, I, I don't think there's any question there. And um, one of the things I really think about, um, and I think a lot of folks think about when we, when we think about Vance Thompson, just in the culture he's created, Advanced Thompson Vision, and uh, the partners that he's been able to attract and the quality of the care that you all provide, it's just a really special culture. You think that's fair? Do you, is it palpable? It is palpable. I mean, there's a specialness uh, within the spirit of our organization. And while I'd like to think that it's something that happens within the four walls of our center in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, the thing that we found as we've grown into North Dakota and now we've grown into Montana is that it's grown within the four walls of those buildings too, hours and hours away. And so it's really something that emanates from within the people. Uh, It comes from a people first kind of atmosphere, but you can feel it when you walk in the door. Well, and, and, it's not just ophthalmology that's recognizing that Vance Thompson Vision is a very special culture. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I think Entrepreneur Magazine ranked you all something like number 19 out that's of right. mid-sized companies for uh, best team culture, and it was the only healthcare company, um, period, to get that honor in that's the top right. 100. Yeah, our team uh, actually went out and they, they sought the nomination. And uh, they announced it to our doctors at our Christmas party last year. We didn't know what we had won or where we ranked, but just that we had uh, both been nominated and we were among the highest. And so we had to wait for the article to come out in February of 2017, and we had a little party for it. But the t- that was a real proud moment to hear the, that the team is so excited about the culture and the kind of code of behavior that, um, that they would do that on their own accord. I think that speaks volumes to having people who are advocates for wanting to show up to work, not only just to do their job, but really to make a difference. And it really gets back probably to that wonderful uh, TED Talk by Simon Sinek, the why. Yeah. You know, uh, John Birdall introduced me to this concept years ago that really people don't really care what you do or how you do it, but they really care more about why you're doing it. And it seems like maybe you guys have been very intentional about the why. Is that a is well, that 
I think it's fair. And you know what's funny is everybody that we know that, well, that works alongside us in our centers, but that we know in the industry, when they went into healthcare, it was because they wanted to do the right thing. They wanted to help others. Right. They want to make what people's lives better. They want to make a difference. That's right. And there's all these barriers on the way to the point of care, right? You got to turn around and look at a screen. You got to make sure you check the box right on the coding. You got to make sure you're wearing the right thing, saying the right thing, hiring the right people, training them properly. You've got the right certification. There's state rules. There's federal rules. And and by the time you're sitting in front of the patient who's really counting on you, uh, you, it's easy to forget Right, that they're not another box to check. How, how important that moment is to them, right? Because what we know from our own research and from the books that we study is that we have one twentieth the human interactions that we had just two decades ago. Uh, can you repeat that? I was checking my phone. Yeah, we have. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's the fun. right. Yeah. So, so not only that, but loneliness is up higher than ever, and it's because of your phone, right? We right. keep comparing ourselves to this fake social, you know, media gratification. That and comparing ourselves to it, we know that we don't measure up, and no one does. But it, it, it makes people even more dependent on those social interactions when they do happen and we more commonly now let them down in any service industry but especially healthcare. I think it's a really important point you know we do get mired in the drudgery of the the clicking of the boxes and not just physically on a screen uh, making sure that we're getting all the elements of history and the physical and exam and, and plan but really the mental box checking of procedural going through your day you know doing all of the pqrs all the alphabet soup of right. reporting and, right and it really is hard to set that aside and really let yourself engage a patient when you have all these other things swirling around how is it that you have been able to maybe overcome that barrier in a way that other practices perhaps mm-hmm. want to do i'm sure we all want to do that but What's the secret sauce if there is something? Is it just being very intentional about that experience? Well, first of all, one of the things that's important is to surround yourself with a leadership who is going to model the behavior. And and you mentioned Dr. Thompson and you mentioned Dr. Birdall and Dr. Tendler and Dr. Swan and Dr. Greenwood from our center. These are all servant leaders. And they're never going to ask a team member to do something or serve a patient in a way that they wouldn't be willing to do and go low themselves. And that's really important, um, especially in the doctor world. Because, listen, we, you guys, you run the gauntlet. And by the time everybody comes out at 31 to 34 years old, they, you know, they're, they're expecting a certain level of, the, you know, I've got it. I've made right. it now. Right. If at that point you can still manage to, be, to have a servant leadership mentality where there's no special parking space for the doctor. There's actually the doctor's parked the furthest away, right? That's a cue. That's a cue to the team that that we're really here to serve each other and the patients. Right. And, you know, the, these things are things that we remind ourselves in, in our daily meetings. You know, it's, it's really inefficient. And over time, when you add up all the hours, it's really expensive. But every member of our team gets together every single day for what we call the holy huddle. Okay. And it's holy because we don't miss it. It's sacred. It's holy because... You know, while while other practices come and visit us, and vendors come and visit us, and you know, research studies come and observe us, and we participate in all these kinds of industry activities, it's the one place nobody gets to go. It's only us. That's the sacred spot where yep. you guys kind of reaffirm That's right. the, the mission. And it's and ten the minutes. Team. It's ten minutes, and we're going to go through a few things that might trip us up that day. But we're also going to remind us that. You know, there's a patient coming in today at nine o'clock from three hours away. They've been on the appointment. They've been on the calendar for three weeks, and they're counting on it. And if we treat them like they're our nine o'clock, like they're just 
you know, next. Right. Nine o'clock, Faco, with yeah. a toric. Right. <laughs> if we treat them like our nine, like, where's my nine o'clock? Right. Where's my third patient? Right. If we treat them like that, we steal. Because they're counting, they're counting on us to deliver more of an emotional, emotionally charged yeah. experience you know, because, of, because of the lack of human interactions that we have and because of the loneliness that's up. And when we key in on those things and we talk about them as a team, not only do we do that for that patient, but we're more present for each other. That's right. right? That awareness goes up. We're know. all focused on yeah. the goal. And so we, so we do that. We've done that for 10 years. You know, wow. Every day for 10 years and after a while, that, you know, you start to believe that you know, we've got a responsibility here that goes beyond just excellent patient care. Well, and again, not, not being the horse too much, but Simon Sinek says, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And if you don't communicate that in a tangible way to the patient, um, it can become very procedural and very sterile very quickly. And, and it's a an transaction. Yeah, especially in an environment that's rooted in routine. And it needs to be. Right, right? to it be needs, efficient. It needs to be because, because when we don't follow protocols, you know, care isn't as good. Right. So in environments, you think of a couple of industries where, where they're heavy in protocols, you know, the, the healthcare world, the military right. world, the, the flights, the, maybe yeah, like yeah, airlines, yeah, airlines, um, you know, finance world. These are areas where customer experiences are remarkably low. Right. And, but the companies who do it well, they jump way out as an outlier yep. for just the smallest thing. Southwest, yeah. for example, because, you know, because of the, because they make it fun. Yeah. And they do, they do the smallest things, but it stands out because it's so remarkably different amongst their class. You mentioned something earlier I want to kind of jump back into, and that's the concept of servant leadership. Um, growing up in the church, personally, you know, and, and you share a similar background, that was something that was pretty natural to me because the idea of a servant leader is, is really founded in, in, in seen and demonstrated again and again in, in Christianity. We don't always do it the right way, but at least it's modeled that way. Um, but that whole idea has really had a renaissance through a book I read um, by Jocko Willink. He is a Navy SEAL who was head of the Battle of Ramadi. He was the uh, squadron leader. Uh, he has written a book called Extreme Ownership. Hmm. If you've not read it, it's, I haven't, it's fantastic. But, but I will. I will really recommend it to everyone. He, as a leader of the SEAL team in the Battle of Ramadi, uh, there were some things that went down that um, he could have blamed um, legitimately on a lot of people who reported to him. Um, and that there were mistakes made all over the place. But when push came to shove, when the, when the investigation came through, he took all the blame on himself because mm -hmm. he said, any mistake that's made down the chain of command from me is ultimately my responsibility. And in the book, it really just talks about how you have to own everything that happens and that your standard is not what your ideal state is. Your standard is what you are willing to put up with. Mm -hmm. What you settle for is actually your standard. And it sounds like, um, you know, in your, in your environment, you're really calling people to a little bit of a higher standard That's right. on a daily basis. That's right. And internally, you know, you, they, you have to role model that behavior as a leader. And once you see that common amongst the team, they'll, they'll emulate it. But, but like Simon Sinek's other book on Leaders Eat Last, your team also has to see you go out and defend them right. when things go wrong. So leaders have to go out, and they, you know, to, to reference the topic you were, you, you were discussing with the book, I mean, they have to see you slay the giant. Right. That's you know, right. So, so as leaders, not only am I going to serve more than anybody, but nobody's going to mess with my team. That's right. You have to protect it, your team. Right. And so there's, it's both. Right. And, and, and I think that that's really important for the team to see. And then, then they'll, they'll follow. And, then, you know, I'll share a funny story. Our team now, 
does things that I would never brainstorm or imagine. We just had a story this last week of a patient interaction from a few months ago, and it's worth sharing. We shared it at our huddle this week, and what had happened was I was at a board meeting in our community, and I was talking about the customer experience at our center, and I was proud of it. And uh, to the gentleman that I was talking to across the table, he, he was eating it up and following along and, and uh, you know, and, you know sh- giving compliments. And a gentleman in the corner was quiet, uh, awkwardly quiet, to where it kind of made me a little nervous out of the corner of my like, eye. Like, what, what's like, going on like, here? Like, uh-oh, this guy maybe had an experience, and it maybe wasn't as good as I'm purporting that it was. And right. so I said, he's uh, about to, he's about to call your he's bluff. He's about to drop a bomb. Right. And right. so, and so, and he did. And so, <laughs> oh, no. so, oh no. So I called him right. And he's, you know, he says, uh, so that, you know, I finished the story. He said, yeah, that's good. So that wasn't my experience at your center. Oh no. And so I said, uh, well, well, uh, what was the experience? And he said, well, you know, I pulled up to your office and, and I asked, uh, for a general eye exam. And uh, at the general eye exam, the, the front desk lady said, uh, well, uh, we don't do general eye exams, but uh, I'm happy to give you an appointment for next door. Uh, there's a, an optometry office that does general eye exams because at our center, you know, we're typically right. your tertiary for, care. Yep, doing right. surgery. Right. And, uh, and I said, well, was she nice in the way he said it? He said, yeah, actually, they offered to make the... Uh, um, make the appointment set up happen right there at the front desk or they offered to actually walk me next door and I was like okay well that's pretty good that's pretty good right above and beyond the call yeah, of duty and he, and he said well I was just kind of disappointed that you didn't do general eye exams and I said okay he said but that's not the part that's remarkable and so I'm kind of guarded again and he said when I was walking out I walked out with another gentleman and he was carrying a cookie cake like a you know nine inch cookie and it said happyth 40th happy 40th anniversary on it and he turned around to the building, and as we're getting in our cars that are right next to one another, he's tearing up, and he looks at our building, and he says uh, to this other gentleman telling the story, isn't that place amazing? And he said, yeah, well, I mean, I guess so. Why? And he, the man holding the cookie cake starts to weep, and he says, you know, I called in for this exam three weeks ago, and they recommend it today, and it just happens to be my 40th wedding anniversary. But my wife passed away six months ago. And... Uh, when I walked in today, they had this cookie cake for me, and he just started to weep, saying like how much it meant to him. Right, that little that act. little thing, and it, you know that cost fourteen bucks. Right, and but what I love is that somebody on our phone team keyed right into it. Somebody on our phone team felt empowered to go do something about it, get it ready in the clinic. They didn't have to run but it up the chain of command. Know, I didn't even know about it right. until a long time later. And so our team runs out in front of us and performs at a level that's at a much greater pace than we could ever do because they believe. Right? That is awesome. Let's talk a little bit about um, physicians. This is something that I, I've been reading a lot about leadership um, because I feel like it's something that I'm I'm called to do in the role that I have. I don't really see myself as a leader per se. Um, I enjoy interacting with people. I enjoy kind of a flat leadership structure. I, I like eating lunch in the break room with my techs. Right. I don't really, I, I always say the initials that come after your last name do not determine your IQ, nor do they determine your self-worth. So I, as a physician, I don't really see myself as any more or less important than anyone else on the team because I feel like we're really a team. But regardless of that, I know that I'm asked to lead in in certain ways. And I've been reading a lot about leadership. And it really seems like there's a spectrum of, of leadership where when you come out of training, you're just so tired of everyone bossing you around and telling you what to do that, that there's a temptation to 
be ready or think you're ready to to rule something, right. to rule a thiefdom, and to make people finally do what you would want them to do, rather than approaching it from a teamwork or a um, collegial aspect. And I've been guilty of this. I've been guilty of that that feeling that I'm entitled to a little bit more respect. I'm entitled mm-hmm. to um, having things uh, a double standard that suits my my needs more than the team's needs. You know, you've seen, I'm sure, a lot of physicians in your life. You've recruited tremendously talented people. What pearls would you give people who are either just out of residency, about to take on that role perhaps for the first time, or maybe people who are transitioning into a new um, a new job where they're the new doctor. Maybe they're not new out of training, but they're new in this mm-hmm. position. Mm-hmm. What What advice would you give to someone about you know, not necessarily letting people walk all over you because that's the other end of that spectrum, but also not letting your ego, um, you know, get in the way of, of really just doing the job the team needs you to do. Well, you know, I see this really modeled again with the doctors of our program, but, but, but just like you and I walking up to do this session, you know, we ran into a couple of your mentors. We ran into a couple of my mentors. I mean, I think the thing is, is that if we're all really honest with ourselves, we'll realize that none of us are self-made. Right. And so right. Uh, exactly it doesn't right. matter how great of surgeons you are, what your research is, some of the people who have invested and sold the best companies in our field um, and, and the companies that have invested in them, um, they will all tell you that they are there because uh, someone took a shot on them, someone right. brought them up, someone grabbed them by the collar and stood them up tall. And, and so if we really believe that we are getting more than we deserve – then it's, I think it's easy then to, to back up and say, okay, so if, so I, it's my responsibility to be a good steward to what I've been given, right. response for, for what I've right. been given. Right. And, and when, you, when you are a good steward to what you've been given, we find that, uh, that it's really then easy for people to follow that. Yeah. It, so, so there's a certain kind of leadership that naturally begets followership. And it's, it's a stewardship style of servant style leadership that does that. Yeah. Now, 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 again, for people who are as far along as folks like you are in your craft, it is easy to say, you know what? I'm, I'm the man. I kind of got this now. And the problem is, is that the world will tell you and your patients will tell you and your staff will tell you and your family will tell you that, no, actually, you know, right. you're not. Right. Especially your family. Especially so. the family, right? Because it doesn't matter. They see you. you know, they see you. The, the you're you're a big deal at this meeting. But right. when you go home, right. man, right. you're a 14-year-old. That's right. Chief bottle washer. Yeah, you right. know, still. And, and that's good, though. I, I feel like it's important. you really need to make sure you don't tune out those voices in your life that are willing to say, hey, you know, knock it off. Right. You're, you're, you know, you put your pants on one leg at a time, just like everybody else. You know, but a lot of people in this industry or who are listening to this podcast, they know John Birdall, they know Vance Thompson, and they know the other doctors I mentioned, Allison and Russell and, and Michael. And, and what they know is that um, when you have people as nice as those folks are, who've given me as much trust as they have in me or our team, and you wake up every day and all you know is you owe them a a great debt of gratitude and you just don't want to mess it up. You're going to give it everything you got, right? You're going to train yep. their team with everything you got to try to make everybody, you know, serve in a capacity that's all that's as good or as close to those individuals as possible. That's right. what we owe them. That's awesome. So let's, let's talk about that. I know a story uh, and I'd like you to recount it because it's sure. talking about giving it all you've got. All you got. Right. Right. And I, so you, Wanted to go into marketing, if I'm not mistaken, from right out of college, you were sort of saying, I want to be in marketing. 
tell the story about how you landed your first job because I think this is instructive about don't just give what or don't just take what life gives you. Right. Well, first, I'll say that the story that I'm going to tell, and I love telling the story. It has a pre-story. So right, for folks right. who are listening, all right, let's do the pre-story. No, 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 no. We'll do the pre-story now. That's for, <laughs> okay. For the folks that are listening, if you ever corner me, try, find the pre-story to this story because right. that's even that's that's even better. That's for the next podcast. All right, all right. We're going to tease that for the next one. So by the time I knew what I wanted, I wanted to work for this mid-sized ad agency in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And, 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 but I wasn't classically trained in marketing. You know, I was a psychology uh, and uh, philosophy double major from a small private liberal arts school in South Dakota. And there was no reason for this firm to take me seriously. And all I knew is I wanted to be in this firm. It was the most prestigious. They had a really competitive internship program. And, um, and, and I had applied several times. I was kind of a big man on campus. I was student body president. You uh, thought you were, you were definitely qualified. Overqualified. De- overqualified, right? right? I had been doing some development work with the school. And so I'm ready. I'm right. ready to walk Give me in a this shot. job. Put me in the game. And uh, especially for an unpaid internship. I got this in the bag. Right. Well, um, after applying three times throughout the first half of my senior year of college, I got zero response. Wow. Not even Not even interview. rejected. Right. I mean, I think they looked at my resume, looked at my majors, and they're like, who, who does right. this guy think right. he is? Wrong right. internship. Right. <laughs> so Sent this to the wrong place. Got the address wrong. And so, uh, so, uh, so that was hard. That was hard for me because I was an okay student, but I was really involved, and I thought I had this thing kind of in the bag, and I was overconfident. Um, many of you know that I probably still am. <laughs> but uh, so, so uh, it was the end of January, and I remember waking up, and I was disturbed by this. And I remember thinking to myself, I, I don't want to, uh, I wonder what, and it's funny because I'm almost 40 now. Right. But I remember thinking to myself when I woke up in the middle of this January night, I don't want to be 40 years old. And look back and wonder what would have happened if I went after this, if I would have went after this as hard as I possibly could, giving it everything I got. Right. And I couldn't, I couldn't get back to sleep. And so I took that day and I went around town. I got my first credit card. I bought a bunch of trinkets and things because I said, you know, if these guys will just read my resume and pay attention to me and get me in a room, if I can get in a room, foot in the door, I can, I, I think I can get this done. Right. And what I ended up doing, I didn't know this at the time, but I was about to write the best ad of my life. All right. Okay. And so uh, I, I went around and got all these trinkets. I got a, a boat uh, propeller. I got a, an airplane propeller. I got an oar. All these different things that I could write about. And uh, I made several different uh, uh, concepts. And I settled on this five and a half foot airplane propeller. Subtle. Five and a half foot yep. airplane propeller. Was, you know, varnished all nice and it was, had brass fittings and, and uh, had a special box made for it. And I wrapped my resume around it and I had it specially stuffed and, and I FedExed it so, so I could track it. And I, you know, went, got there at 10 o'clock the next day, addressed to the CEO. And by one o'clock, I had a call to come in for an interview that afternoon. And I started the next day. That is awesome. You literally wrapped your resume around the propeller. airplane propeller and sent it through the mail. And I've used that trick a couple more times. I've applied for, you know, when I did some experience design work, I applied for that training by, uh, by telling that organization I wanted to blow the doors off. And I sent a regular car door through the mail. <laughs> Standard mail, right? That is awesome. And it's, it's made it into all their PowerPoint slides, which is a, which is a nice little, you know, boast. But, but so the point is, is that, you know, we... we we all have these things that we want to swing as hard as we can at in life. And we have all these regrets and wonders like what would have happened if I would have just pursued that a little right. bit more. And it takes about five seconds. There's a great book out called the five second rule. It takes about five seconds for that to just dissipate in us to say, well, I don't know. I'll just, I'll just, 
I'll figure something out. I'll just go to Facebook instead. Right. And right. then that moment is gone. Right. And, and we just can't do that. The people who get what they want out of life and really find ways to serve others more properly are the ones who they, they, they follow up on those impulses. That's awesome. By so, the way, nobody does that better than Vance. Oh, You'll be talking awesome. to Vance, and, and, and he'll say, oh, that reminds me of my buddy in Beverly Hills. And he'll, you'll, he'll look down, and he'll be texting his buddy in Beverly Hills, the, the funny thing that, that just reminded of him. And it's why everybody loves him. Right. Just a little, little touch, a yeah. little reach out. So your career basically started in marketing. Then you started doing some marketing with Vance, and eventually... Vance somehow he can, stole me. He stole you. Yeah, he stole okay. me. Much to the, the the dismay of the firm, uh, yeah, he he and I ran off together. He closed every meeting for a couple of years uh, by asking me to join him. You know, when are you going to join my team? And and I loved what I was doing, but um, but I also knew that I wanted to run my own team, and I also knew that I wanted to do something more than just create landfill. Right. 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 And you know, because back at the time, everything was in print or and or dissipated, and and I felt like life should be more than just messaging. Right. Right. It, it needs to be more impactful. Right. Got it. Well, I think that um, that's probably, you know, those are just some wise words we can probably leave it on. We've got so much more to talk about. I want to leave this as an open invitation. We need to do round two. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast and recording this. I oh, man, it's it. been a lot of fun. I look forward to doing it again. Awesome. You do a good job at these. Guys. Thank you. Thanks. Take yep. care. See ya. Off the Grid is an independent podcast supported with advertising by Alcon.